Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. I'm Dr. Jay Calvert. Today I'm sitting in this lovely Beverly Hills studio mansion setup with my most uh, excellent and Morpheus co-host, Dr. Millicent Ravello. How are you doing? I am doing well. Thank you. I am freshly Morpheus. <laughs> Solo Morpheus. You Solo did, Morpheus. did it to yourself. <laughs> I do. I hate to inconvenience people that work in our office, like, you know, Orla and such, or you. So when I have some downtime and I need to do something, I usually just do it to myself. So this weekend was a little self-Morpheus care, slapped on the numbing cream, and then went to town on my face. Did you just do it with numbing cream? You didn't do that injection thing that you did? Correct. I In the beginning, I did. I would actually inject some lidocaine because I wasn't sure how painful it would be. Um, but then I just stopped because I found that I was getting way more bruises from the injection. I had these like bruise marks all over my face. So it was just, it was not cute for like a week. So now I just do the topical on the skin and then, yeah, I do the treatment. So I'm a little puffy, still a little red in some areas, but you know, I think it's worth it. Of course. Yeah. I, I need to do the Morpheus as well, but I, I don't think I could get a good treatment on myself. I, I don't like – I can't inject Botox into myself. I have a very hard time with that. You can't even inject Botox without numbing cream yourself. <laughs> well, I did today. Uh, in fact, uh, Lily, our new PA, injected mm -hmm. me uh, without numbing cream. Yes. Which which I I did whine a little bit. Oh, I, my I, gosh. I ordered some Cabernet with that <laughs> Botox treatment. It just uh, – yeah, just I, – I don't know. I don't – I don't really love the like it's it's not painful per se it's just kind of annoying. Yes, this is what happens when you do Botox. You know, Botox on men. These are the complaints they you get. Yeah, it's like having a man cold. It's like, baby, you're just <laughs> you just have a cold. No, it feels so bad, baby. You have a cold. <laughs> yeah, men, men are not good patients, and they they post up pain control like the whole thing. It's just yeah. Are you going to recovery center tonight afterwards? I should. I should go. I, I could use an IV and probably you know some sort of ice somewhere on my head. <laughs> But it is our Christmas episode. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, all of yeah, the above. Absolutely, yeah, and happy Hanukkah and whatever you celebrate. Yes. But we are here to talk about our favorite cases of the year. Our gifts, if you will. Exactly. These are these were cases we did that we really enjoyed. Yes. So no, well, we should also probably talk about maybe one or two of the coal and the stockings cases that we received. <laughs> Oh boy. Yeah, we, we <laughs> to, do get those, don't to, we? Yeah, wrap up the whole picture here. But let's start with the nice gifts. So, Dr. Calver, what were one or two of your favorite cases this year that just brought you some spark and joy? Well, there have been a few. I will talk about a uh, rhinoplasty uh, patient uh, who's a teenager who came in with really a, just, I thought, not a not a pretty nose. It was kind of like a hawk beak, you know, poly beak, which means that the the super tip region, the area above the tip is bubbled out and they kind of a like a little hump and then the the bird beak looking nose. Right. And it, it's not that that's not uncommon. It is. People Very walk around people shape. walk around with that nose all the time and they're totally fine with it. But this really affected this patient's confidence. She was very uh withdrawn, very sort of hidden, you know, from like herself almost, just just shoulders turned in 
head down. Because of the nose. Because of the nose. Like, I'm re- so self-conscious. And, and, and to be fair, it was a very difficult rhinoplasty because her, her features were smaller. And, and so getting this right was actually kind of hard. And one of the things that's difficult is if the skin is thicker. And mm-hmm. she had kind of thick skin. And so getting that, that polybeak area to sit down is actually very right. challenging. Um, and so this was a case that I did and, uh, took down the hump, made the, the, the bridge look really beautiful, actually did some suturing of the skin envelope to the cartilage framework, uh, articulated rim grafts, which are cartilage kind of sticks that I put into the nostrils to help shape the, uh, the tip, tip suturing the whole deal. And, uh, it, it went great and it healed great. And the rewarding part, the the gift was to see this patient literally come out of her shell in in a month and a half time, basically, just six weeks afterwards, just radically freed from just whatever was self conscious about this nose was lifted and gone, and Aww. it was really, it, it was just moving, and the parents were moved, and the patient was moved and she told her friends and like, she she just, that's why I do what I do. That's why I want to be as good as I possibly can for my patients. It's all about delivering that result. And that was a great case. That is an excellent case. And it's so true. These patients really do, you know, some people walk around with noses that others might not think are attractive and it doesn't bother them at all. They live their best right life. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. But then there are some aspects of people, whether it's their nose or their breasts or like whatever it is that just really bothers them. And you change that one thing. And it's like that weight, that voice in the back of their head that always is there about that one feature is just gone. You know, I actually had in a similar note, a patient of yours who happens to be a friend of mine had a rhinoplasty with you. And she said something to me afterwards that I had never really thought about, but that like was something that she thought about every day. And she said, I now feel so confident when I'm crossing the street in front of cars because she hated her profile so much from the side because of how it looked. And it never like, that's such a specific thing. She was self-conscious when she was walking her dog and going through a crosswalk of the people looking at the side of her face. And now she struts through that crosswalk, like, look at my nose. <laughs> like just, it's the little tiny things like that, that people really kind of, you know, really appreciate. Yeah. And you know, and those of us who don't think about them, don't think about it until, you know, you hear from somebody what it is. And that's, that's good. I think I know who you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. She had a a really good rhinoplasty. Oh, she looks fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> she's over the moon, like life-changing. I can't believe I waited so long to do this kind of thing. Well, that's cool. That's a, that's a, a I got a double-barreled gift on that one, which is <laughs> awesome. So from, from your world, what was your gift case for the year? You know, it was a little hard to narrow down. Um, you know, cases are hard, right? Like every case you do, it's, it's unusual to just have like a chip shop case and, oh, this one's going to be easy. And there's always something that's a little bit like, ah, I got to, got to work on that. Wait, you're saying surgery is hard? Surgery is hard. <laughs> it's it's really, really hard. Hard. It is. It's really, it's really hard. hard. People don't understand that. And so sometimes I don't really appreciate the gift surgeries until afterwards when they, when you get that patient result and happiness and then all the hard work you put into the case 
really becomes the gift. Because sometimes while you're doing it, it's hard and you're worried about the outcome and you hope they heal okay, but you don't appreciate it until the final result is in and then you see how happy they are. And I had a patient this year, a transgender patient, uh, male to female, who was 71 years old when they came to see me for a consult. And they had just started to transition several years prior, had a whole previous life, had been married, had grown kids, like the whole deal, but always had this one thing, obviously, about themselves that they felt was different and now felt comfortable coming out and thankfully had a wife that was very supportive. They're not divorced, but that person is still in their life and supportive of this change. And so this patient was requesting a breast augmentation. So transgender breast augmentations are not easy. You take a regular breast augmentation and then increase all the issues by like 10. And that's a transgender breast aug. And 71 years old. And 71 years old. There's some skin issues. Like it was, yeah. there were a lot of challenges to it. But we got a really beautiful result for this patient. Natural breasts that fit her frame because she's tall, broad-shouldered. So we've got a really beautiful result. But it wasn't even the result. It was how transformative it was for their life. I mean, came back to me just every visit, just thank you, thank you, thank you. You've changed my life. I feel like the person I've always felt like on the inside. It matches. I go on these trips. I go to Vegas. I, you can wear these clothes. Like just... The, this patient has never been so happy and satisfied with kind of who they are, matching who they feel like they are. And just one of the most grateful patients I've had this year. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. So that was that was a big win, and I'm, I'm so happy I was able to do that for that's her. A, that's a unique case, too. It's really uh, – Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the – well, you know, it, it's interesting how uh, grateful and thankful and also sort of – uh, like, like it's, it's a propelling moment for transgender patients to get that transformation. Oh yeah. They, they really like it. It's not just like, Oh, you know, thank you so much. They, they, they live it out and they make it happen and, and it's pretty awesome. Yes. So I, I, I see that as well. Uh, yeah, I've had, I had a, a one of the cases I was going to talk about was similar, was a transgender patient who'd had sort of bad rhinoplasty and then had some other, you know, jaw work that wasn't great. Like there was a lot of things that just were like not awesome. Mm. And uh, so redid the nose, rib graft, did the, you know, bird down the jaw, like did a lot of, you know, contour, bony contouring of the so jaw. This, this is for facial feminization. Yeah, for facial feminization. Right. Yes. And, uh, and just, you know, she just looks awesome. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like unbelievable, you know. It, it was uh, it was really cool, and the nose is better, and the jaw is better, and you know we we did elevation of some facial tissues, and you know not really a face lift per se, but like a rearrangement right. that you know feminized the face, and and uh, I mean really a very very satisfying case, very grateful patient, and uh, and and those those revision rhinoplasties, I, I think in facial feminization surgery. The problem is that the, you know, the the facial feminization surgeons, which I, I guess I guess we are sort yeah. of a team for that, you and yeah. you and me. We do it differently though, because like yeah, we do all of it at one time, but there's there's a focus on the nose, 
And I, and I think in a lot of centers and a lot of places around the country, the nose is kind of an afterthought. Right. It's kind of like, well, we'll just take the hump down. We'll do a little trim of some cartilage, make it smaller, and that'll be feminine. Right. Because usually these are like ENT or OMFS people who are really good at working on the face, but maybe in previous training or whatever, they haven't really done a lot of focus on the nose specifically, which is obviously a very, very specialized field. Right. And so... Like when we do the rhinoplasty, that's usually like we take a beat, we take a pause, and then I spend the usual amount of time that I do on a rhinoplasty. It right. is not a throw in, it's not an afterthought. And it's our a whole this, this team, yeah. this team of, you know, Calvert and Ravello have a, we've got a secret weapon. Like I, I do rhinoplasty a lot. Yes. These other teams, I'm not sure they have that rhinoplasty uh, specialist of that level. And then the, the problem is, is that feminization of a male nose is not, it's not easy to make it look nice. It's easy yeah. to do, like, because we see it all the time. Uh, but I think that they're, that, you know, just in terms of like the, the need for attention to that, like it's something that I would call the other centers to kind of say like, hey, take a minute and really plan out that rhinoplasty because it, it it makes such a difference. Such a difference. Well, it's the same thing, the same way that a feminizing rhinoplasty is not the same as a generic primary rhinoplasty. The same way transgender breast dog is not the same as a regular primary breast dog. Not even close. There's a whole different world of considerations you kind of have to think about. The, an the anatomy of the male body uh, to make it feminized in the, in the chest wall obviously going to be very different than taking different. a female body yeah. and a female chest wall to make it and to enhance the breasts. Right. And so like as, as an anatomist, you know, I can sit here and say that those are two completely different operations. And th this is where, you know, you, you, the, the public perception of what we do is extremely uh, disconnected to what actually happens. You know, there's, there's a sort of magic wand magic thought. Magic wand. You know, well, can't that, you just do da -da -da -da, and like anybody can do that, right? And just la. Tinkerbell surgery. There you go, Tinkerbell. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that is what I do. Da -da 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 -da. <laughs> but that's the thing is it's like, you know, and so that's why I think, I think there's, there's a lot to be learned in sort of these transgender operations. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I think that would be like my, my number one favorite. And then there's a whole, I would say, kind of collection or genre of patients, going back and thinking about my patients that were most grateful, most satisfied. Um, and I feel like I say this all the time, but it really comes down to my breast reduction patients. They yes. are so happy. I just did a young girl last week, um, still in high school. And when I saw her for her first post-op visit, she was like, you know, three days or whatever from her surgery. I will open the door and the smile on her face as soon as I walked in, like, hey, how's it going? Just had lit up her face. She's like, I'm doing so well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like she was over the moon, happy, happy that she had this surgery. And that was one of my like, you know, more extreme results, but, or, you know, responses, but not really. Like in general, I would say almost every breast reduction patient I've had has had a similar response. And it's just, they are so happy with their results and how life-changing it is from their symptom relief, from the back pain that they were having, neck pain, and then just how they feel in their bodies. Like they don't have these weights. They can wear clothes that fit. They feel natural and free. And 
they're just, they're happy. They are happy, happy patients. Yeah, you know, breast reduction, I think, is one of the highest satisfaction operations in the plastic surgery world. Yes, yes, and yes, for sure. You know, the patients are just thrilled with it. It's, you know, makes sense, right? It's like, hey, you know, you're not going to have to carry this these weights around your neck anymore. Yep. I, I mean, just think, I, I, it's hard for, I think, for men to understand that, but even, you know, women who, who don't have large breasts, the, the concept of just, imagine you're at the gym and you see two five-pound weights and you take them and tie a string around them and hang them around your neck and then walk around all the time. Yeah. And you can't take them off, by the way. No, all the time. All, all the time. time. And that... Oh, and then try and do some workouts because in order for insurance to approve you, they want to make sure that you've lost weight and are exercising. So go like run a few miles as well <laughs> while you're at it with those weights. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to get into insurance. It's Christmas. It's Christmas. Okay. I don't want to, I don't, because like the ra- the nope, Christmas nope. rant. Not doing it. Not on insurance. Today. You know, I just. Today is sparkles and joy. That's right. We'll, we'll have. Like we should do like a like an all out rant podcast, like in like, just let it out. Like we should go to like Chicago in February and like on a, on a snowy day with high winds, do like a rant podcast and just that tee off. That would be would sick. be amazing. Although I don't want to be liable for what I might say. That's true. Good point. We'll just keep that one in the uh, in the secret files of yes. the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. Well, I guess if we are being, you know, completely Christmas, end of the year fair, we do have to talk about the coal and the stocking cases, which happen. <laughs> and do, we, they, do we have to? Because yes. this could send me into a rant. <laughs> yes. No, this is a no rant. Uh, this is just rant free one, zone. one difficult case. One difficult case. Oh, I've had so many I know. difficult cases. Well, just like pick one. <laughs> oh. Okay. So... Um, I'm working on about four separate uh, noses that have been demolished by cocaine. Ah, so fun at the time. <laughs> so painful afterwards. Painful. Yeah. The, uh, cocaine has made a strong comeback in the you know party world of uh, California and around the country. And uh, I will refer you to our Cocaine Nose podcast. But there, the. The problem for me, and, I, and I'm going to lump them all together because they've all had their own issues. Yeah. The thing that happens with these cocaine nose cases is that I, I think I'm I'm just a, too much of a dreamer of what the tissues can do. Right. And so, so it's like, <laughs> I think optimist. I can do it this way. I think I can do it like this. I think I can use this tissue. I think, you know, because I, I really don't want to have to do forehead flaps on everybody. So for the for those of you following along at home, a forehead flap is where you take a uh, strip of tissue from the forehead. You literally keep it attached by its blood supply, which is over the eyebrow, and you turn it down onto the nose. Mm-hmm. And that is called a forehead flap. And it's an operation that was, it's been around forever. It's been, you know, uh, Sir Harold Gillies, my hero of plastic surgery, was the guy who really popularized it. But it was kind of being done by, People in Italy and, and versions of it using the arm flaps and things were being done in in, in India and in Egypt. India. Yeah, like bajillions of years yeah. ago when they used to cut people's noses off for stealing and stuff like that. There were guys that would, you know, strap your arm to your head and then they would they would take a, a flap yeah. of tissue off your arm, put it to your nose, leave it there for four weeks, and then divide it and, the, and it would live on your nose. This is the same kind of thing. We turn it down off the forehead, put it onto your nose, it lives there for a while. We divide the 
the bridge and then we build it. So I, I think that I'm a little too much of a dreamer sometimes and that I can use like forked flaps from the lip. I can take, you know, do a lip lift and use the tissue that I normally would throw away and turn it up onto the columella and make a, make this, you know, piece of tissue between the nostrils out of the, the upper lip. And, and so like these operations, and, and by the way, they're all over my TikTok and on my Instagram, if you want to see what I'm talking about. Um, and we did one during the pandemic for a dog bite. We did a forehead flap for a guy whose nose got bitten off mm-hmm. by a, by a pit bull. And, uh, and so, so they're common in my world because I'm a, I'm a nose guy. That's kind of one of the things I do a lot of, but I think I just, I'm always disappointed in how much of the tissue actually survives, how much of it doesn't heal. You know, it, if it's, you don't it, it's do a forehead just, flap, yeah. If you're if when you're trying to move things around, like I think I can rearrange this. I think the problem is is that you're really rearranging tissue that's it's just crap. been beaten up by yeah. by cocaine. Yeah, like, the blood supply is. Cr- you might as well be dealing with radiated tissue for the amount of yeah. blood supply that's there. It's just been fried. It's been fried. So maybe you should just do forehead flaps on all of them. Oh, but like so, but on a lot of them, it, it does work. You know, yeah. so like that's this is sort of my like. Not everybody needs a forehead flap message, you know, and, and, and so like I get a lot of calls from people with these cocaine noses and with, you know, trauma and with radiation and like I've, I've had cancer and, you know, there, I have a, a guy right now, I, I just feel for this guy, he's got, he's had three forehead flaps and he's got a radiated face from uh, a squamous cell cancer and his, no- his nose is just demolished and you know, he, he really needs a nose and he went to a, a excellent center to get reconstructed. And they've just, as he said, I, they just, they're out of answers. Mm-hmm. And now I, I see what I can do for him, but you know, it's it, like, I'm not at a university. I don't, I don't have like the ability to just do free surgery for everybody. And so I'm, I'm looking at this case going like, I, I can fix it, but like, I need a lot of resources to do it. Yeah. So I think he and I might do a GoFundMe together and just try it and see if we can get somebody to write a big check. We'll see. Um, but th- those cases to me have been the coal in the stocking yeah. because because they turn out. I'm not saying they don't. They really do. But like I want them to be better. Right. I just I want more. Right. The result is it's okay. It's it's okay. It's they okay. have a nose. Yes. Like now they have a nose. I put yes. one guy's nose like he had missing a nostril and missing a columella and a big open hole in his face and like he's got a nose now. He's walking around great. Yeah. But damn, if it, if I could just get a little bit more cooperation from the <laughs> tissue, I don't want to go off and around here. I'm going. Um, but if I could just get that tissue to cooperate a little bit more. And there are some now that I'm fat grafting first to try to get some blood supply to come in, put in some new tissue. Like I'm, you know, I might as well do like a blood supply dance, you know, like a rain dance kind of thing <laughs> and see if I could get blood vessels to grow. But it's just like, oh, you know, they're really hard. And that's, that's, hard. that's the frontier for me. I mean, that's, you know, I always say like when I retire, like my, my retirement plan is to go back to the university and work on po- partial tissue transplants and figure out how to like replace parts of the nose in, in, in ways that, that haven't been thought of yet. You know, using tissue engineering, get back to my, my basics. I have, you know, a bunch of patents in tissue engineering. And uh, those, are, those are things that I think are the future, but they are certainly the coal in my stocking because I, I want more for my patients. I could totally, totally see that. I get that. It, it's. I mean, I'm sure your equivalent is radiated breast. Radiated breast. I, I, I'm not even going to talk about that because I just cannot. Or unilateral <laughs> breast reconstructions. Uh, 
I cannot. Unilateral breast reconstructions are are, yeah. are so painful. And I can't even talk about them. I think. But isn't that the coal in the? What's the coal in your stocking? The coal in, for this year. The coal in my stocking. Um, is actually similar to a podcast we just did a few weeks ago talking about these massive body weight lift cases that I do because I get these patients that are just still really large, but I know I can make them better, and I know that they're not going to get any smaller. They've already had the weight loss. Maybe they've tapped out or their weight loss drugs and pills and medications, and they need the skin surgery. They need the extra skin removed, but they're carrying around a lot of weight still on their abdomen. And a lot of people would say that's, you know, a contraindication. You shouldn't do it. But I'm like, but I can do it. I can (laughs) do it. I know how to do it. You know, a lot of liposuction, a lot of time in the OR, and it's massive removals and a recovery process. I can do it, and I can do it safely, and the results are transformative. But... There's some wound healing issues. This is why people say to not do it. This is why surgeons choose to not do these larger patients. So you kind of have to accept you're going to have a few bumps in the wound healing process to get to that final result. But that process can be a little painful for certainly the patient and for me. Not painful in the sense that it hurts. But it's, you know, you might take a surgery which typically has a four to six week recovery process. And now you're looking at like three to four months because you have recurrent seromas. That's usually the big one that I have. Uh. Fluid collections that just keep coming back and I have to drain them or send them to radiology. Worst case scenario, go back to the OR and open it up and drain it again. So that is that can drag down you know, the whole result because they're never fully healed yet. And when can I go back to working out? And when it's just, it drags on. But once we get them past that, oh my gosh. I mean, they were like half their size and, and they're transformed. But a few of those cases, you know, have sort of kicked me around this year where it's like, that, yeah, that's why you're not supposed to do this. But look how good they look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we used to, back in the day when we were kind of learning those body lifts, we'd just tell the patients, there's a 100% chance of complications with this operation. Yes. Like, you're going to have wound problems. You're going to have something. You're going to have hematomas. You're going to have, they, they're just impossible to expect it's going to be smooth sailing. So you got to got to go with us on being able right. to deal with that. And they got it because they're they're like looking at it also going like, you're going to take me from this and make me look like this? Yes. Sign me that up. That makes sense. But it also makes sense that it's not going to be easy. You know, right. and these things don't happen overnight. And, you know, I think for the most part, reasonable patients will get that. I mean, even my facelift patients, there's always something about a facelift that's like, uh. <sighs> you know, just like, <laughs> Work <what>? with me. <laughs> like, what? are you kidding me? Like, really? And, you know, then that's why I just tell them, like, look, I take the post-ops at five months and they're like, oh, so this will be – I go, five months, you're, you're going to be awesome. But, like, you, there's going to be a, a healing process. Yeah. You know, and and, uh, and and one of my patients said this to me. She was like – she came in for the facelift, the consult, and I said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and it's going to be like this, and went through everything. She goes, okay, sounds good. And afterwards, you know, she's like, I look amazing. Like, this is incredible. Like, what did you do? I was like, well, I did everything we talked about. She's like – you know, I just thought this was going to be kind of like a little like local procedure, like, you know, when I did my facelift the first time. But, you know, this was a really extensive operation. I was like, yeah, <laughs> big time. Like, that's the difference between like the lunchtime lift that's eight grand, you know, done under local in the office 
and what we do. She goes, I look fabulous. I can't get over what you did. It's incredible. I was like, did we talk about this before? Like, I was kind of like, you didn't hear anything I said, did you? She was just kind of like, uh-huh, uh-huh okay, uh-huh, I'll see you then. Yeah, and, uh-huh. you know, just off she went. Yeah. And, you know, I I thought she was hearing me. And, I, you know, I was like, let's look at this. And, you know, they read through these consent forms that say, like, you can have this. And, you know. You, uh, Again, plastic magic wand surgery, uh, right? Yes. It's know, not a big deal. Well, she, I mean, it, she looks incredible. And, sure and she, she You know, she does. And she did have, like, a little lunchtime lift back in the day. Which is why, like, she needed like extensive facelifting. But I don't know, you know, just gotta just gotta ride with the patients, help them, give them as much info as possible, listen to this podcast, read these forms, do whatever you can to try to understand what it is that's going to happen to you. Because I, I think a, an informed patient is a better partner in their result. Oh, for sure, for sure. But you know, I will say, big shout out to my patients. I have really great patients. I know you do too. Um, Amazing. They're they're great. I think that's what I'm probably most thankful for um, of everything in my practice right now are the really outstanding, great patients who just make this such a joy and a pleasure to do. And they are there for the bumps in the road and they have gratitude for the results that they get. And they're just lovely people. You know, there's just nothing better than operating and spending so much time and investing so much of yourself in someone that also gives back like a positive energy. Not that it's about us and how we feel about things, but it makes the process so much more enjoyable when you both can come at it you know, with optimism and positivity and good attitude, it really makes the whole process just so much better. It is a collaboration. That's for sure. Yep, it is. Well, I've uh, appreciated our collaboration on this podcast. It has certainly been a gift for me uh, to be able to talk about these topics every week. Yes, and uh, I, I think that we have a lot more to do in the future. So I appreciate it. So happy holidays, Merry yes. Christmas. And uh, this is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast, coming to you from the 90210. If you like what you heard on the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast and want to get in touch with either Dr. Ravello or myself, this is how to do it. You can reach me at the website, ravelloplasticsurgery.com. You can reach out to the office directly through the website with any questions or consult requests, or you can call the office directly at 310-954-1355. And you can reach me on Instagram at ravelloplasticsurgery. And to reach me, the phone number is 310-777-8800. My website is drcalvert.com, drcalvert.com. Instagram, Dr. J. Calvert. And of course, you may want to check out our YouTube channel for the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast, which is simply that, Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. Hope to see you all in the office very soon.